Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, an oral history podcast about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. My mission here is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, did during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are, and will be coping with our multiple and expanding crises during their day-to-day working hours. Can we turn things around? We'll find out. To tell this story, I need loiners. Loiners like you, dear listener. I need people in Leeds or people from Leeds to come on this podcast and just tell me what they do all day and let me record how this affects us. Thank you for listening. What did you want to be when you grew up? I think when I grew up, it kind of changed. I wanted to be an actor, first of Mm -hmm. all. Um, And then I discovered heavy metal when I discovered Guns N' Roses when I was about 14 or 15. Yeah, and thought, no, I want to do that. That is definitely what I want to do. Um, So that that was me sorted for a a long time, and I I never considered the fact that I'm a terrible musician. Um, But (laughs) but I had great hair, and I I thought, (laughs) but it didn't. But that that was sort of what I wanted to be when I was younger. There was always something creative. So how long did you hold on to the, the rock star fantasy, I suppose? I think I played in bands for about 10 years, and right. none of them were really any good, apart from mm. the very last one, which I was in with a close friend, and I kind of realised in the end I was never going to be able to keep up, um, Yeah, which kind of sucked all the fun out of it. You're listening to Series 4, Episode 25, and to my guest, R.J. Barker. This is another Squadcast interview recorded on the 5th of September 2023. RJ Barker is a critically acclaimed and award-winning author of fantasy fiction. He won the 2020 British Fantasy Society, that's BFS, Robert Holstuck Award for Best Novel for his fourth novel, The Bone Ships. His debut trilogy, The Wounded Kingdom, which includes Age of Assassins, Blood of Assassins and King of Assassins, was nominated for the David Gemmell Award, the Kitschke Golden Tentacle, the Compton Crook, and the BFS Best Debut and Best Novel Awards. It was called Thoroughly Entertaining and Constantly Impressive by Fantasy Hive, and one of the best fantasy series you will ever read by the BFS, and a singular, sensational new voice in epic fantasy by Kings of the Wild author Nicholas Eames. RJ followed this with the award-winning Tide Child trilogy, Books include The Bone Ships, Call of the Bone Ships, and The Bone Ships Wake. These books have been hailed as one of the most interesting and original fantasy worlds I've ever seen by Adrian Tchaikovsky, and Brilliant by Robin Hobb, alongside rave reviews in Starbust, SFX, and a starred review in Booklist, which said it was a unique and memorable world, harsh and brutal and full of fully realised powerful female characters. Barker has managed to craft a story inspired by Moby Dick, Game of Thrones and pirate law, and readers will be drawn in and fascinated. RJ lives in Leeds with his family and a collection of questionable taxidermy, 
odd art, scary music, and more books than they have room for. He grew up reading whatever he could get his hands on, and he has always been that one with the book in his pocket. Having played in rock bands before deciding he was a rubbish musician, RJ returned to his first love, fiction. Right, let's do this. Episode 105 of Working Hours with RJ Barker. So what is it that you are doing now then? Um, well, when I when I gave up music, I was just thinking, well, because I, I needed to do something creative. That's how, how my mind works. I'm fascinated by it. Mm. I didn't want to be an actor because um, that was a lot of hard work and and I'm not into hard work. And the other thing that I'd always had with me is I'd always had a book in my pocket, always. And I thought, right, I'm going to be a writer. Um, mm. Surely that's easier than being an actor, which is not. It was a mistake. And if I'd known then <laughs> how long it would take, I, I might not have done it. But I didn't. And I decided that's what I was going to do. So I, I kind of committed to it and wrote and I wrote and I wrote. Because I decided I was going to be a rock star. didn't really finish school. Um, um, I got a bit bored of it and just decided I'd stop going. I always hope my mum and dad never listen to these podcasts. <laughs> I don't still know. Um, so I had to reteach myself, in essence, how to use the English language, which is why I'm what people refer to as quite a voicey writer, um, which means I, I, I very much have my own style. But, um, yeah, it eventually Touch Wood worked out for me, so that's good. So take us through kind of your journey into writing then like did you start with articles or copy or did you just go straight into writing you know huge manuscripts how did you get I, into it i started with short stories i have no interest in writing anything factual um mm-hmm. that's not my thing i wanted to make stuff up and and create things out of my own imagination so i wrote short stories for a long time um, mm-hmm. the entire thing was 13 years 13 years it took me um and short stories were a nice way of learning how to do things, but a terrible way of earning money. Um, in the entire um, 13 years before I, I finally got anywhere, I earned a total of $5 through writing short stories. Um, wow. And then eventually I kept going and I kept going. And I thought, right, I've got to have a go at writing a novel because that's the, the only way you're ever going to get anywhere. And I wrote sort of two or three um and I was quite lucky because it it this this sounds quite backwards, but it's what I think. Um, I got very ill. Um, I, I, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I weighed about six stone. I was really poorly, and I just became too poorly to hold down like a normal job, mm. um, which was quite good, really, because holding down a normal job and trying to write a book is really hard. Um, yeah. So I, I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, we, we had a young, we had a, a son about that time. And I, was, and I was like, right, well, I'm going to properly commit to novels now. And I did. And I wrote, I think, three novels. And then <clears throat> as a, my way of getting into writing is absolutely no help to anyone who wants to do it because it was such an odd, everything in my life has, ha- has happened as like a, a cascade of odd coincidences or things that don't make sense. And, and suddenly mm. I end up where I want to be. Um, I wrote a short story and I put it on my blog and an editor from one of the big, um, publishers saw it and said this is too good to be on your blog when no one's going to see it which is a lovely backhanded compliment I suppose mm. <laughs> <laughs> and he said can we put it on our blog and I said yeah you, you knock yourself out and then he asked me if I had anything he could read and I sent him something and he hated it um, but he, he did say it's not for me but I've got an author friend who I think might like it and they sent it to him 
Um, mm. He sent it to his agent. And his agent came back and said, I also hate this, but I do think you've, you've got talent. Have you got anything else? And I'd written quite a long science fiction novel at this point. Mm. And I sent him that. And he read that and came back and said, right, first third of it is brilliant and the rest is terrible. We have to rewrite it. So um, <clears throat> I signed with him. Um, obviously that's what you want to hear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you get very used to criticism as being a writer. It, it, it's intrinsic to it. And people say, no, um, it's a big part of the job. And, um, and we reworked this novel and we submitted it to all the publishers and everybody said no to it, um, which was a bit sad. They were very complimentary about it, but the, the feeling was it was just a bit too odd. Um, that it was nice and it wasn't quite what they were looking for at the time. And there's quite a lot of luck involved in submitting the right thing at the right time to publishers. And then um, me and my agent parted ways for really boring reasons. He was downsizing and the way he was doing it was by losing all the writers that didn't have deals because they were earning him money. Yeah. Um, and I made a list of other agents I was going to try and, and I passed it to him and said, Are they, do you know these people? Are they worth going? And he, he added another agent on the end and he said you should try this bloke called ed wilson um who's on twitter he's called literary hall and i'd seen him but i'd never thought of sending anything to him because i'm i'm not a literary writer i'm a, I'm a genre writer I, I like science fiction and fantasy and crime mm. and, and all those things but my old agent rob just said no, you really should try him i think you'll get on with him so i sent this book that i just finished which was a sort of fantasy murder mystery to ed um, and all these other agents but Ed was back in touch with me within a week and he just rang me back and said, yeah, you've got something here. Um, I can sell this. Do you want to become one of my clients? Uh, and I said, yes, because mm. you don't get offers of representation that that often. I jumped yeah. on it. Um, yeah. And he, he submitted it and he sold it to Orbit, who were one of the, the biggest sort of publishers of, of that genre. And it did pretty well. And we did, had a three book deal from that. So we, released those and the only thing they said was said can you write um can you write one every six months which is quite fast for a, a, yep. a novel um but just as i'd started this book which would eventually go on to be called age of assassins which was not my title but publishing is a very odd industry um yep. i'd been given a course of steroids so i'd written this book in six weeks um <laughs> frantically on these steroids i'm just going, oh, I, I could write an entire book so when they said can you do a book every six months i was like yeah not easy easy i can do that um but i did have to come off the steroids but i, I still did it and I, I really enjoyed the process and then we released my next trilogy of books which were um called the tide child books and they're like um <clears throat> fantasy ship but i love patrick o'brien's aubrey mature you know Matt, the film master and commander yeah yeah, yeah the, the book that they're based, that film's based, and I, I love those books. And it's like a fantasy version of that. And the, um, that won the British Fantasy Society's best novel. Um, so that was quite nice. nice. Yeah. Um, and they got really good reviews. And then my latest book, Gods of the Weirdwood, has just come out in June. And that's had quite quite startling reviews. I was in, it got a five-star review from the Daily Mail, which is personally quite conflicting for me mm. i mean I, I like the five star review but i don't like it being in the daily mail um but, but anyway so it, it it's going it's going all right now that's how I, I got to where i am that's a very truncated version which leaves out all the hard bits well 
So how long did you keep up the book every six months for then? Did you <laughs> did you go on to keep that up or I'm I'm quite a a speedy writer compared to yeah. a lot of writers. Uh, and partly because I, I I do it for a living. It's all I do. I don't mm. I don't have another job. A lot of writers um have to have another job to do it. Um but I I do have and what I write is quite accurate in that it doesn't actually change a massive amount between what I've written and what's what comes back from an editor later on, which is helpful. Mm. Um, I don't do it in six months. It's about nine months for a big fantasy book now. Um, mm. But I write books in between because I, I like to be distracted. And sometimes I can write write those in like three or four weeks, depending on how how into it I am. How anything that I'm not meant to be doing is far more attractive than the things I should be doing, and I'm much mm. more excited about. So I'll like bang them out. So, so I've got all the stuff I'm I'm contracted for, and then there's like two or three books with my agent that we're we're messing about with and deciding what we shall do with these. Some he likes, some he doesn't, but he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Is it always different to the ones you like? Um, we like things for very different reasons. He, he's mm. he's um he's an agent, and and he likes things for commercial reasons. So he yeah. likes things that he knows he can sell. Um, I wrote a murder mystery which which I really like, um, and he doesn't because it, it it's not really a murder mystery. It's people sitting around in a in a B and B drinking tea, um, <laughs> which which I really enjoy writing. And he, he'll sit there going, "Yeah, people don't want to read this; they'll be bored." I'm like, "No, but but they might." But he he tends to know his stuff, so I'll put things to one side and come back to them again at another day and go through them again. Um, mm. I trust him, and and we get on really. He's, he's a friend now, which is yeah. is lovely, and and I know he makes really good decisions for me when I am not the sort of person who makes good business decisions. You wouldn't put me in charge of your business. I, I'd break it. <laughs> I'm just not attentive. I'm not that sort of person. I, I'm I'm creative and a bit flaky, and I can write a really good book, but everything else, I'm just like, oh no, don't. My wife keeps my diary because I just cannot be trusted. She's like, you know, you're doing something. I was going no. You know, you're in London tomorrow. No, no, I don't. <laughs> but I do now. But <laughs> so, is your life managed by like phone notifications whenever you have to do anything? If you have yeah. to go anywhere, it's yeah, yeah, phone notifications and doing things the minute I get them. So if, yeah. if somebody gets in touch with me and says, oh, "There's this thing in London we want you to do," I'll book the train in the hotel then at mm. that moment because um, otherwise I'd forget and somebody would tell me, "But oh, this is unfortunate." I'm not going to get to London. Oh, the, the biggest stuff for my publisher, they do it. Um, I've got a, a publicity officer called Nazia, who's terrifying mm. and, and organizes me. I just get messages saying, you're doing this thing on this date. Don't forget. Okay. And I'm too scared of her to forget. So that, that works quite well. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, I won't, like, I'll, I'll dive straight into the other questions because mm. I think it will, I think we'll draw more stuff out as we go along. Yeah. Um, so rather than kind of delving in a bit more here. Uh, so I will kick off with the COVID question. Um, so thinking about going into lockdown, um, I want you to think about sort of your workload at that time and like how did it increase or did it drop off? Um, what was that? kind of like how did that how did that experience then have any 
sort of effects on your work going forward? Are there any changes that came out of COVID to the way you're working now, or is it all back to normal? It's, it, it didn't really change for COVID because, um, I mean, essentially, I sit on my couch and write a novel. That's that's mm. my job. Um, so the only thing that changed for COVID is um, my, my partner, she couldn't go into her job anymore, so she had to mm. work from home. Um, so I couldn't actually decide to play video games instead of writing as much because mm. um, she would look at me. <laughs> so a, you spend a lot of time not writing yeah i do i spend a huge amount of time not writing um and, and any write you speak to the we do it's it's an important part of the process is it not is, writing yeah, it's thinking time processing time yeah and and you've got to like some of that subconscious processing isn't it you've got to leave the thing alone and stuff's going on with it in the back of your head i'm sure and it, then yeah because then you you come back to it like ah no i I've got new ideas. Yeah, so so I'm consuming other other media. Like I always have music or the television on, or read, mm. uh, reading a book or, or something is is going on. So so yeah, but um, and I, I said before we started this, I've not got the camera on because I'm in our bedroom, which is also my wife's office. Mm. Um, and we have very different ways of working. In that I like everything to be out of the way when I'm working, and she likes everything to be on her desk. Uh, just everything in the world. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so so we we we're quite different, but it's quite quite fun. In in the morning, she'll just like, right, I'm going to work now. I'll say, okay, bye bye, and then I'll see her at four or five when she comes back into the front room, and I, um, I'll say, I've been writing all day, and she's like, no, you haven't. So, no, no, I haven't. <laughs> but I've done a bit, I've done something. So so yeah, that's the only real changes. Yeah, is 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 my other half is at home, which I, I like. I like having because we we like each other. So it's quite nice, mm. really. COVID wasn't. It didn't really affect me at all, apart from the fact that I didn't see people as much. That's that's the only thing. A lot of, of your life on, as a writer is online anyway. Mm, so you, mm. it's all email. My editors are in London. I'm here in Leeds. So no massive change for COVID, really. I suppose events would have dropped off or would have gone online. Um, did it affect sales at all? I suppose Amazon's still there delivering by post and other. Weirdly, other... book sales went up yeah. during COVID. Um, for <clears throat> as far as I'm aware, given that I don't work in marketing. Makes sense. People had lots of time mm. on their hands. They went up for existing authors, but mm -hmm. it was an absolute nightmare for people who were um, debut authors who had a book coming yeah. out during COVID because they couldn't do any of the things that people usually do, go to bookshops or yeah, or any of the events that weren't on. But I did actually do quite a lot of events and that via Zoom and, and ended up doing things that in the US, which I don't really have as much of a a name over in America as as, a, as in the UK. So that was mm. that was quite nice. So for some reason, anything on Zoom I find really tiring. It's really yeah. hard. I don't I don't know why. I find it much more tiring doing it in person, which I like. Um, and on Zoom, I'm a bit less of a fan of it. Yeah, I think it's to do with the frame rate, you know, like because mm. your eyes fill in a lot of the information. So your mm. brain has to work harder watching the other person. Yeah, and there's, there's not quite as much of a feeling of bouncing off people that you get when yeah. you're doing things in person, which which I, I, I like people. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons I'm a writer is that you have to like people to do it. So, <clears throat> so yeah, that's... But that's really the only way COVID affected me. I was quite lucky like that. 
Um, so I'll do the the kind of work life balance thing then, because that you know mm. that kind of comes up around that question quite often. But so, are you quite good? I mean, obviously you're working at home. Do you have like a designated space? Do you are you quite good at separating work and home? Does work finish when you know the other half comes home? Like, how do you do you do you keep a good boundary and how do you manage that? I d- I don't know if I do keep a good boundary because it's that weird thing that when your hobby becomes your job mm. and you're doing something that you really love, you don't really like when when. It, I have hours that I do. Like in the morning, out, I will write until I've written a thousand words. Mm. That's generally the minimum that I write. Um, <clears throat> but sometimes, like today, I'm, I'm doing a, an Ask Me Anything on Reddit. So I'm on the computer all the time answering questions on that. Um, mm. and that'll go on all day. So I'll be on and off. And I can't really concentrate on anything else while I'm doing that. Um, and if, I'm, if I hit something, if suddenly I work something out and it feels right, then I just won't stop. Like I had an idea for a book that I just, it just all clicked into place in my head. And there was definitely four weeks where I didn't do anything but write that book. Mm. Uh, And my wife and my son may as well not have been there, but they're they're quite used to that. And then, but a lot of the time I'm I'm really not doing much at all. It's it's a funny thing. It's just people, I hate saying the muse because it sounds so pretentious. But um, when it hits, I won't stop. And when I'm doing other things like edits, which are less, at, the actual creative writing part of it is quite tiring. Um, mm. But edits are, are less, so, and I tend to just sit and do them. And sometimes I won't stop until 7 or 8 o'clock at night, depending mm. on how I'm feeling. Um, so, so there is that. I don't think there's really much work-life balance but at the same time I, I really enjoy what I do and, it, and it, it feels like fun doing it there's a real joy in writing for me so, so mm. I don't feel in any danger of burning out at the moment touch wood mm. but you're not too regimented with it either i.e because you know as you've said you might be yeah taking some downtime to think or to do something else yeah no I'm not a regimented person at all I, mm. I do I make myself write in the morning because I'm better in the morning, and I know that. Um, and then once I've done those thousand words, I might, I might do some more, or I might read, or I might play video games, or I might get roped into doing DIY, which happens a distressingly amount of the time. And why do you want me doing DIY? I'm terrible, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes my half will go, right, I've measured up, you go drill holes, and I, I can do that. That's fine. Don't. But I'm not measuring up again because there have been quite a few wonky shelves. Um, <laughs> I, I, my other half's a designer, so that doesn't go down well. So I've got, I've got to okay. So, um, so, so there is that. But yeah, I'm not regimented. I, ne- I never feel like I'm I'm working too hard, which is is good because I think I spent the entirety of my life when I wasn't a writer, mm. desperately trying to find ways not to work too hard in every job that I've ever done. That I've hated every single. But I love doing mm. this. So. Mm. so you mentioned the Crohn's earlier. Mm. When did that, did you get diagnosed before or after you started writing? Before. 
before? Well, no, I was I was writing. Um, yeah. But before, but before I you kind of took it full time and yeah, went, yeah. Before I was doing it professionally. Uh, and so, sorry. I, I guess that played into your decisions as well. Like, I need something that's more adaptable for my lifestyle. And I think it was just more that I needed to do something. Yeah. I just couldn't, I can't, couldn't be doing nothing. I don't, I can't say. If you told 18 me year old that, I wouldn't have believed you, but. <laughs> Turns out, actually, I do. I do need my mind to be engaged, um, and and it was kind of a, a, a blessing in its own way. That it gave me that time when I couldn't do anything else. I had to concentrate on, on what I could do, and that wasn't because Crohn's attacks your joints as well. And I could barely walk, so I needed mm. sometimes I could just do sat down. So I really yeah. focused on it, and I think that's when I, I properly finally clicked with how to do it how to do it because it's a, it's an odd thing is is writing in mm. that you need the the confidence to sit down and write but you can only get that through writing so you're in this weird catch 22 and, and i don't know any writer that ever feels like they're good enough you always feel like you've got so much to learn um, yeah and that's the annoying thing with doing anything in the arts that it's not like um, maths which is brilliant because mm. it's wrong or it's right which which must be so comforting because <laughs> if you're doing something in the arts, you know, people might like it, they might not, and you don't know. Can't tell that's, until it comes out. That's very true, but you, then you do have greats within maths as well, you know, like mm. if you're really into maths, then, you, you know, you might be aspiring to be like, you know, the next giant of mathematics. Um, but yeah, I get that, like art's much more... Uh, I, I mean, it's everywhere, isn't it? Like, yeah. You know, only a few people are going to know the name of f famous mathematicians, but mm. everyone will know all sorts of different works of art from authors to, you know, shows and producers and actors and writers. Yeah, and, and what 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 really works and what is good are, are not always necessarily the same. So I, mm. I know writers who I think are brilliant who barely sell any books, Um and there are writers who I don't get at all who sell huge amounts of books, mm. and there's just no real way of telling. It is, it's, it's marketing is strange and mysterious, and, and mm. I think that's why the real selling of books happens as opposed to with writers. We just do stuff and hope. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, the marketing like they know a lot, but it, uh, again, it is that sort of you know, like nobody knows anything. It's a lot of it's guesswork as well, based on based on experience. Yeah. You know, like we know this sells, that sells, that sells. Oh, that kind of thing we have to sell like this to that that market. Yeah. Well, my first book, um, it was this kind of fantasy murder mystery, but it was set in a very sort of historical. It was set in tenth century England, really. Um, mm. But I couldn't be bothered doing the actual research, so I made it a fantasy <laughs> book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> research is really hard um, and I know too many historians who would pull me up on it so yeah. it's really bad um, and it was originally called um, The Uncrowned Heir and um, my publisher was like oh I don't really like that because technical and I was like well yeah but it's plot specific and, and they're like can you think of another title and I did um, and I wanted to call it All Deaths Well Intentioned which kind of fit with the mood of the book and they went mm, not sure we really like that and I was like, oh, okay. Do you have an idea of a title? 
And it turned out what they wanted was something with the word assassin in it. Mm. Because there's a certain amount of people who will just buy a book if it has an assassin in it. Yeah. And they knew that. So it ended up called Age of Assassins, which has nothing to do with the book at all. Um, I mean, he's, he's nominally an assassin, I suppose. He doesn't ever do any assassin. But it, it, was, just, it was just really odd. And I was, I was like, oh. my agent had to say, just don't think about it. Just, just let them do it. And if the book sells, everything's golden. I was mm. like, all right then. So they did and it sold. So now I just let them do what they want. I'm just like, yeah, go on and get on with it. I'll just write the inside bit. I, I mean, has there been anything like, have you had any fights about anything? Has there been anything where they've gone like, change this and you've gone like, no, this is vital. <laughs> I must have it this way. Well, in the editing of, of a book, it, it's it's not, it's not an adversarial process. It, mm. It's it's working together to make that book as, as good as you can. But your, your editor is after commerciality, yeah. and you might be after arty, and it's finding a place in between. But in the end, the editors I've worked with, my final say is the one, um, and, and I can put my foot down and mm. say no. There's always that. But my editor, re- she understands writing in a way that I don't. She understands it in a very technical way. Mm. Um, so I listened to her. Like she, there was a um, this, my second book had a prologue, which I loved, and I'd written in the sort of literary motif that echoed throughout the entire book. And mm. um, when she came back with a comment, she said, oh, "You have to take that prologue off. It's, it doesn't work. It makes the editor, the reader, dislike the main character." And I loved this prologue, and I wrote this five-page letter explaining to her why I thought she was wrong. Um, and by the time I got to the end of it, I just thought, "Oh no, actually, she's right." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything she said is is right. Um, uh, but in in the um the book with the ships, um, they they use like big crossbows rather than cannons because cannons are not very fantasy. Um, mm. and and I'd like written this three page description of how you load and make this crossbow work and then fire it, and, and she was like, "This is way too long." And I was going, "No, no, no. It's not a naval book." unless you have three pages of how to fire a cannon. That is just the law of all naval books. <laughs> and she was like, okay, well, clearly that's your thing. You can have it. And I'm like, good, good. Um, but when I also when I read through um, Jenny, my editor, she, I love her. She's brilliant. She, she has like three levels of Jenny. She'll, she'll just say, have mm. you thought? Which means it's just occurred to her as she, mm. as she was going through that I could do this thing and I can ignore it if I want to. And then she'll say, I think you might want to which means she thinks I could probably make it better, but she's not going to fight me over it. Yeah. And then she'll write, we think, and if she writes, we think, that means she's going to be really adamant that I should not be doing that thing. Yeah. And, and usually she's right as well. So, mm. um, okay. So, and, and it, <laughs> it, it is kind of, you, you work together because you, you, her job depends on my book selling and, and me selling more books depends on my book selling. So you're both on the same side. Yeah. And if, if there are like things that, like for one one book there, were, there was a cover which I just had a viscerally negative reaction to, um, and my agent dealt with that. He mm. he didn't he just went I he just said right I will deal with this don't don't mess up your relationship with your publisher yeah and and that's his his job when things are are bad and need done in a kind of more technical way. Yeah, not a serious way. I have nothing to do with it. Yeah, um, he will go away and do it. And also at the same time, if 
if I'm being an idiot, because there was another cover that I didn't like, and he just turned around and said, no, it's a really good cover. You're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I was going, no, no, you're wrong, RJ. Just suck <laughs> it up. It's a good cover. It's just not the cover you want. I'm like, okay, then. Yeah. So it's quite, it's quite nice that you have all these people around that, that I trust. Yeah. Um, and their job is to help me because, because not only because, because their job relies on me, but because we all like each other. It's, it's a really nice sort of place to be in. It, it's, yeah. it's really lucky that I'm working with people that I would choose to be around anyway, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're vital as well. I mean, you need that, yeah. you need those sort of early eyes on it and that feedback. You need, someone that hasn't been as close to it as you have who's looking at it from the outside and going that doesn't make sense and this why has that happened and what's going on here um yes. for oh, my, sorry. my latest book gods of the weirdwood which is massive it's a proper like old school fantasy book that's as big as a shoe it's huge yeah. um my editor's edit letter she sent back to me and said this it these are these are my comments, um, and then just put at the end. We will publish it as it is if this is what you want. But have you considered? Because I've written it in first person, which is um, narrated from the point of view of one person. So I I see this, and I was mm. doing that or whatever. And she just said, "Have you? Are you sure that first person is the best way to show this world? And you might not be bad pulling out into third person, which allows you to see more of what's going on." Mm. And I just thought, no, that's that's madness, madness. And then overnight I thought about it and then realized that she was right. So I had to rewrite the entire book, mm. more or less. And that, that's probably the hardest work I've done. But but that, that's because it's worth having that other set of eyes on it, as you said. It's just they, they see things that you don't. Yeah. Because you're really close to it. You, you can't pull back on it when you point it out to you. you I've been so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it was too like it was too obvious. It was right in front of you, yeah. so you couldn't see it. It's like, yeah. Um, there was another thing that I was going to say on that, but I can't remember. It'll come back to me if it's in, <laughs> important. Um, yeah. So I shall move on to. Let's do Brexit because I think that'll be quite short. Um, so since we've Brexited, has that changed anything for you? Like, I don't know. It's you made said me... you mainly sell in the UK, so. It's made me very angry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a ridiculous bit of self-sabotage. Um, it, it made me a bit sad because I, I, love, I love Europe. Mm. Um, I do well, mostly England, but as well as that, my agent sells foreign rights as well. I'm published in nine languages. Um, it doesn't necessarily affect me that much because it, um, I was meant to go to Germany, but mm. COVID affected me for that because I got COVID and couldn't go, which was really annoying. Um, mm. And the publisher does all of that. They they sort it all out for you and if you need any form of thing. It's all done by the publisher. Um, but I do have to get um, reciprocal tax forms from the tax office saying that I'm in an English national, so don't pay tax on the continent mm -hmm. and then pay again over here. And I, I don't know what goes on with these forms, but sometimes they're back in a month. But I've got others. I've been waiting nearly a year and a half for another one. And I presume it's something to do with Brexit. Mm. But they just take forever. And you can ring up the tax office and they just go, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have that with you next week. And it just never happens. Yeah. It's absolute nightmare. There's no way you can go. So, But that's quite annoying. 
But I think that's the only real way it's affected me, apart from mm. just making it cross. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, there's been lots of people saying that it's made them cross. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think too many people have mentioned paperwork yet, but I think that's... I think that's something that's going to come up more and more as we actually yeah. move more into it and they start putting on the paperwork. Yeah, it's it's just very strange. But I, I don't think going forward it's, it's ever going to change how it affects me because it's not like I'm shipping anything anywhere. Mm. Um, postage has gone up because I send off like book plates and things that are signing. Yeah. I sign them and people can stick them in the books. Postage to Europe has gone up, which is a bit annoying because I used to do it for free and now I'm going to have to charge people to don't really want to do. But mm. curse you, Nigel Farage. It's all your fault. Have a see um, your poor drink over your head. Yeah. And the BBC for putting yeah. them everywhere. Yeah. What are you doing, BBC? You're better than mm. that. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I will do, let's do, since we're on media, let's do social media. The other, the other social blight. Um, <laughs> so do you have to do any social media in your work? And the work that you do do on social media, do you find that's a good investment of time? Uh, does it boost sales? Do you, you know, do you see a direct result of you post so-and-so and then you sell a book? Or how, how, what's your work in social media experience? It's changed a lot quite recently since Elon Musk ruined Twitter because mm. um, Twitter was I'm not sure you really sell a lot of books via social media um, mm. apart from the odd because you, you see about like Twitter books where somebody suddenly sells a million book not Twitter TikTok mm. but I think they're massive outliers um, <clears throat> and the majority of the time you don't really sell books through social media but I would not have got a book deal without Twitter, where Simon Spanton, who was an editor at Clank, saw my short story. Mm. Um, so for that that reason, like, it got me my book deal on social media, and mm. I don't. I've always used it to to be me and just be silly, and and it's I've not changed since selling books. It's I'm the same as I was. So I'm not ever using it as a a knowing. I'm not trying to sell through it. That will come by my book. Yeah. quite constantly but i think you can get away with that and people know you're just being stupid and you also want them to buy your book um yeah but to, for books i think you sell a lot more from people reviewing it on youtube channels or or book blogs or just talking about it to their friends and <clears throat> books are weird because still if you're in bookshops that's the place to be really my books mm. get into bookshops and i'm quite lucky um because they have limited space on the shelves, but but all we get my books in there, and my names become recognisable enough that touch wood, they will keep putting them in the bookshops. Um, but I, I've never really believed that social media sells books. Um, mm. I, well, I don't think it sells books to anyone but the people that already like you. Uh, yeah, like to fans mm. of your, because it's reinforcing the brand, mm. isn't it? It's more yeah. like an author you like has a new product like mm. so therefore you get the tweet yeah I, I, uh, I would say that uh, well i would guess that sort of national press and kind of art shows you know like if they do a review on news night or whatever like they will 
they'll sell more books than yeah. any social media post would. I think what what really sells a book is adverts on the tube. Yeah, that, that's if there's adverts on the tube, you, you can more or less guarantee that book is going to sell a lot. Or be Richard Osman. <laughs> if you're Richard Osman, you'll sell a lot of books. Um, if you're famous, you'll, yeah. you'll sell a lot. Being of books. on telly, yeah. But you're being on telly, yeah. Mm. So I, I should have become an actor. I got it mm. wrong. I should become an well, actor and then read the books. No, you know, Radio Four shows, then get on telly, and yeah. then and then you'll be flogging books left, right, and centre. Yeah, I've got a friend who's quite regularly on in our time with Marvin Bragg, so I might ask her if she can get me on with Melvin. Not, yeah. not that I know much about any of the subjects he does. I know, but, you know, as so yeah. long as you can answer in an entertaining way. I can do that, but yeah. I'm just not knowledgeable. I'm, I'm a jack-of-all-trades. I've got a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things, but none of it of any use whatsoever. <laughs> well, I mean, it is of use. It, yeah, it's it, really good for being a writer. Exactly. A, a broad sort of means that you can more or less sell 90% of things. Because if you get the odd thing right, people won't question past that. Yeah. And you can do really mad things. Like um, my set, my ship books, I don't know anything about sailing tall ships. It's incredibly complicated. I love them. Fascinated mm. by them. I read loads of books about them, but it it's an, it's, it's an entirely different language and culture. Mm. Um and I got a lovely email from somebody who did sail tall ships. Um, shall I say that again? Because my phone just went off. Oh, was, that was the phone? Was yeah. Like, my, my, did my you get phone. attacked by crows or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I got this email from a man who was a sailor. Uh, and it was a lovely email. He said, you tell me how much he enjoyed the books. And then he ended it with, um, and he just said, I just have to say, you do know fuck all about sailing. But it. <laughs> feels like sailing and that's more important and i was like yes that's yeah. what you want because it doesn't matter knowing about stuff as long as it's not terrible and you can sell it and that, that's what writing's all about 90 percent of books are, are just this trail of incredibly unlikely coincidences mm. that if you ever stop and think about it you just say that that, that would never happen well, why, it's, why whether it, it's whether it feels right isn't it yeah. it's that whole thing you know like they have with sound effects on movies like Foley effects, mm. they'll use weird things for weird sounds, but that's because yeah. that feels right. Yeah. You know, that feels like the sound it would make, even though that's not the sound it would make yeah. at all. <laughs> You're hearing what you think things should sound like rather yeah, than what... Yeah, and what you I, expect them to sound yeah. like. You, it's sort of everyone wants something new, but it ha has to have an element of how you would expect that mm. newness to be. And I now guess. we expect things to sound like the sound of films when mm. they don't. Yeah. It's like, um, what is it? Tigers, tigers and um, and big cats. You see them growling when they attack. Mm. Um, all cats hunt in silence. Mm. It's just what they do. But we, we've been, I've been reading about big cats recently, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, we, we've been conditioned that we think they, they go, wow, and they don't. They're, they're just like, no, I'm surprising you. And also, yeah. if you can do a decent run, you'll get away from them because they're, they're really bad at running for any length of time. Mm. So become a marathon runner if you want to escape tigers. That's that's <laughs> that's my top tip for today. Um, not the biggest threat you'll encounter in no. the next few years. Though, no, I don't no, think. No, there with global warming. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> um, okay, so I think that's the next question, isn't it? We've done social media. We've tigers. Done Brexit. <laughs> no, not tigers. <laughs> Climate change. All right. <laughs> um, so um, I asked. 
this because uh, I it's my major obsession is climate change. Um, but also because Leeds has declared a climate emergency and it's something that's going to affect our work more and more. Like it's a very warm evening this evening mm -hmm. again. Um, so in your work, is there anything you can do or do do uh, with regards to adaptation, mitigation or awareness raising around climate change? Or is it not something that is really on your radar? I do write books that hidden within all, all the like dragons and stuff. Um, there's actually quite a strong ecological message in there about not not messing up your world. Like in, mm. in the in the first book, um, so we be a fantasy writer because people have this image of fantasy as like books for teenage boys, mm. and um, and and it's moved past that now. There's quite a lot of really interesting and, and clever stuff going on, um, but in, in that sounds like I'm saying. Uh, and especially me, which, which of course I am, but I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, in the the assassin books, when they use magic, they kind of they suck it out of the earth and it leaves a dead area where nothing will ever grow. And the magic that they produce from it is black. And um, and I was just so shocked that so many people read these books and no one went, "Oh, you're talking about oil, aren't you? That's mm. what you're talking about." And nobody did, but it was just it was because I saw it was actually an open cast mine that I saw on the moors. And that got me thinking about it. So, oh, yeah, it's, it's a metaphor for oil. Um, mm. But um, no one picked it up. But there's all, and the, the bone ship books are, are, are all about societies that have abused their, their environment to a point when they can no longer live in it. Mm. And, and they're down to recycling the, the rubbish of what's left. And then when something wonderful turns up, which is this massive sea monster, um, the first thought they have is, let's kill it. Mm. And, it, and it's about whether you make that decision or whether you do something else um, so yeah there, there is an ecological message in everything I do but there's not much I can do about climate change by being a writer apart from being quite cross about it same way about Brexit but I don't think anyone's listening to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it all depends how it's done doesn't it mm. like I, I, I remember you know, like hearing interviews, and I've heard other people say it, but hearing interviews with like Python and so on, and then they're mm. kind of like, you know, we thought we could change the world through comedy, but, you know, you can't do that. No. But there is a level at which they did as mm. well. So the, there is a level at which, you know, art can be tremendously influential, but you can't really directly say in most cases that, you know, this work mm. of art, resulted in this action which changed the world and made everything ideally better rather than worse no no i, I mean i this might annoy people but i'm a great believer that direct action is probably the best way and good on the um the people gluing themselves to the roads mm. um because it makes people pay attention it might annoy some people even me if i get caught in a traffic jam but mm. i think probably that is the best way at the moment of doing things until politicians start paying attention yeah or, or I would never say smash up their houses, but they do put black shrouds over them. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. But yeah, they put a big black shroud over Rishi Sunak's house. Nice. Yeah, yeah just fantastic. Well done. But he wasn't pleased. Oh. <laughs> Poor Lamkin. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um... 
Let's do... How are we doing for time? Let's do the change question. I might circle back to some questions because mm-hmm. if we if we do this, like if we get through everything quite quick, um, yeah, I might come back mm-hmm. to some of the questions. We can do that. So, yeah, so I'll do the change question. So I imagine this will be not much to change for you. Um, mm. But, yeah, if there were any three things you could change about your work, uh, what would they be? So they can be fantastical, they can be very, you know, straightforward uh, and basic, but up to you, what what would you change? Uh, I'd quite like to... This is going to sound really mercenary. I'd, I'd like to sell enough books that you can't buy happiness with money, but you... you can buy a level of kind of security mm. that allows you not to. And, and the idea of a starving artist is just because people don't want to pay artists, really. Mm. Um, mm. And I, I, I would like to earn enough money that I could help other artists, which, which sounds, I'm, I, I just thought it'd be brilliant to be able to go to people, a helping hand to provide somewhere and know I was doing that. Mm. I think I, I, I mean, I don't know. If, if you've heard of Arts Emergency, I support them because there's no reason I can get them on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really important charity. Um, Together with that money, I would be able to have myself an office. And the only reason I want an office is so I can have a whiteboard that I can write stuff on um, Mm. because I like the idea of it. And I know in my heart of hearts, I would never use it, ever. I would just wouldn't. I don't work like that. I work all in my head. It's like I've got this fancy phone where you can write on the screen with a stylus. Mm. I, I do shopping lists and that's it. Mm. I don't ever do it for writing. So I, in reality, I don't think there's anything I'd want apart from sell more books, which would mean I'd be a bit more secure in writing because writing's a bit, you're only as good as your last book. So you, mm. the, the lead up to releasing a book is, is it's a bit tense and, and I could do without that. That's mm. a, I would choose the entirely selfish thing of give me some more money, please, Mr. Publisher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that damn precarity. Yeah. So that leads us directly into the next question, which is uh, on universal basic income. So if there was a universal basic income, are you familiar with universal yes. basic income? Yeah, yes. I thought you would be. Um so if there was a universal basic income, how do you think that might change things for you? Um, would it change anything for you? I mean, obviously, I don't think you're going to stop writing because you've got a UBI. No. Um, like how, what, what impact do you think it might have on you? I, I don't think it would have a massive impact. It, I mean, it just gives you a little bit more wiggle room. Um, Could it, give it, people more time to read and potentially yeah. buy more books. Yeah, I, I mean, for... for I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the idea of a universal basic income because between about 16 and maybe 22, 23, um, I, I did as little work as possible mm. um, and was mostly unemployed and playing in bands and having an absolutely great time. Mm. And I think I learned the most in my life about the world at that point. Mm. Um, and I think every young person should have that opportunity. I, I think, like, I, I don't think you should pay for university. I think, we should send as many people as possible to university and it should be covered. Um, mm. But universal best incident would just allow people who were stuck in places of grinding poverty uh, to to get some freedom mm. to to do something. And 
and I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm. And, and, and I think it, it's an important thing. Just just that not having to worry about how to, knowing you can pay your bills is just an amazing thing to have. It's just because when I, when I was really ill, we were really struggling. Um, mm. And the sudden change in my life when I sold the first book, I didn't, I didn't get like a massive advance. To, yeah, but it's of, still a lump sum that you yeah. probably weren't used to having at the I've time. More money than I've seen in my entire life. Not a yeah. high bar, but yeah. um, just life-changing. Yeah. In that suddenly, you know, we, we were, you weren't running money out of money to feed yourself at the end of the month. And you had that cushion. And just amazing. Uh, and I think everyone should have that. I don't think anyone should be terrified or living in a position where they, they don't know how they're going to eat. I mean, we're, mm. we're a rich country. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm massively in favour of it. Not because it make, would make a lot of difference to me at the moment, but um, I think it would help other people. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, I don't care. Um, just, just not have to worry. Yeah. What a brilliant thing to give people. Yeah. Just have like all that free time to invent yeah. actual carbon capture that works or yeah. something. Because <laughs> so much of, of of the worst things in our society are from because I don't. I, I'm RJ Barker and I write fantasy as RJ Barker, but I also write crime as RJ Dark, mm. um, <clears throat> which, which have, and they're, they're based in not Leeds. Because right. um, <laughs> if you base it in a town, people will get very angry if your geography's yeah, not right. Yeah. Um, so they're based in not Leeds, but, but it's a town near Bradford um, and it's based in a, a really rough council state. That, that is a council state that existed in my head when I was 13. Mm. Um, and those books are all about what poverty does to people and how it forces them into places where they would not go otherwise. Mm. Uh, and, and it's generational and it's cruel. And I'll get far angry about that, even than Brexit. Mm. So, yeah, give give everybody money. I think there's a flip side to that as well with wealth. Mm. Like, I'm in the story of, like you know the, the the kind of desperation that poverty mm. engenders in people in extreme reactions and things like that i think you see more and more like depending on how conspiratorial you are about the establishment mm. but there is a lot of like i see a lot of things that say wealth can be quite a bad indicator for your health as well like you know i think it encourages some terrible behaviors sometimes i think it can be quite poisonous not to know how people live i, I saw some politician that was on about oh we, we need um national service to come back which which mm. bullshit um mm. but i do think that if, if your parents are old enough to send you to a private school probably should have to do two years working in a factory mm. um uh, and and living off it completely impractical there's no way it could happen in real life but i think to go out into the real world and meet people rich people never generally meet mm. and suddenly realize, I, it's not fair to say they don't see people as human because that's not not true they they do but they don't have a level of empathy because mm. empathy comes to understanding uh and they probably if you're really rich you've never met somebody who can't afford to feed themselves after a week and if in your head you can probably find a hundred reasons why it's their own fault, and it almost never is. Mm. So it, it's a difficult tax rich people, loads of money. 
Mm. If I was rich, I would be lobbying to have loads of it taken off me. Because mm. once you've got a huge amount, what's it going to do but get huger? You can't spend it all. Once you've got a billion pounds, you can never spend that amount of money. It's mad. Uh, do you know Pitchfork Economics? It's a podcast. No. It's a guy called uh, Nick Hanauser, I think it is. Mm. Uh, he was a billionaire, made his money off, um, I think some of it was off Amazon. Mm. Um but yeah, he he runs this podcast where he's like, "Look, we need to start taxing my class because mm-hmm. we're going to have a, a hell of a lot of social upheaval." And I know what happens when you know when yeah. everyone gets really really angry, and I, <laughs> yeah, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. I'd rather pay a bit more tax, please. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he's, has some really interesting stuff on there. Like he did a show that was quite amusing, where it was like, actually, if you raise the minimum wage and pay people more, things get better. They don't get yeah. worse. And that was all just a bunch of lies that they sold to people in, you know, sort of through the early days of neoliberalism. Um, it's, 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 it's all about liquid money, isn't it? That, mm. that there are people that take money and they hide it away and that money does no good. And there are people that take money and spend it. And they're the people you want to have the money. Um, and that's usually people who don't have as much. Because mm. they're, they're, they're spending it. And that's how economies work. Though I am not an economist, don't. Don't find my website and send me stuff about it. I'm a writer <laughs> and I talk a lot of nonsense. My, I lie for a living. I make stuff up. I'm really careful about getting on my house about the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just want people to be nice to each other. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, they all like, what's wrong with a little bit of peace, love, and understanding? Yeah. Yes. Uh, exactly. So, go on, sorry, you were going to I was going to say, let's move on. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> going to move us on as well before we were too, too <laughs> strident. flower power. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I want to go into some of the books for a bit. Because yes. um, I, I, I did have a look at your website, but I only kind of scanned mm. through. And obviously, I haven't had time to read the books. And I'm terrible at reading at the moment. That's um, so I, Yeah, I need to get back mm. into it. So... I think initially my first question is, uh, I, I mean, to do with sort of where the ideas are coming from, you, you're obviously fairly prolific. Um, was it just, is it just sort of spewing out everything that you've imbibed through just kind of consuming endless media growing up or? Pretty much that. that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's very little thought involved in, in what I do. It's all very subconscious. I don't plan have a kind of well I say I don't plan you don't meditate or anything or no I, when, you don't when have I, any rituals to get into the sort of no. inspired space when I, when I say plan there, there are writers that I have friends who plan they, they will mm. like have a plan of their book and what is going to happen in each chapter and that that they don't start writing till they've done that and that, that's how they go and then they write a book where I sit and I write a book and I might have a couple of Usually, I have a couple of rough ideas about mm. what I want to do, but it, it all comes out in the writing of the book. And then people say, Where do you get your ideas from? Which a lot of writers will complain about that question, but it's a brilliant question. It's just mm. really hard because it's everything. Everything mm. from when you were tiny, it's all in there. Like, and it's really difficult just to say one thing. Like, this is the, this is the odd thing. Like, there's a, in the bone ships, there's a, um, kind of avian, intelligent avian creature that can control the wind because that, mm. that's like a really useful thing for a society that 
that relies on ships. Mm. Um, and it wasn't till I was doing, I was asked to do a podcast about my favorite book, which is Watership Down. Um, and it wasn't until we were talking through that, that I realized that it was Kiha, the, the seagull from Watership mm. Down reincarnated into this book. Um, uh, and as of course, and, and quite often you only see things much, much later as mm. to what that, but the disability comes up a lot in my books. Um, in the assassin books, the the main character Girton has a club foot, um, and he looked down on for that, and it mm. was quite fun to play with that. And and in the the, the Ship's book, the the main character was progressively taken apart by war because um, he's involved in it, and you get hurt a lot, and he does. Um, and then in, in the new one, it's it's again. You kind of recycle your own experiences into stuff, and then yeah. you don't realize until later on. Because um, the the new book's about a man who can't admit um something he needs to admit, so it keeps circling back to the start, and he keeps ending up at where he was at the beginning of the book. And it wasn't until I was doing a podcast about it that I realized that actually I'm talking about how I deal with being chronically ill, which is that yeah. I pretend I'm not um, until I'm so ill that I, I just have to do something about it. I thought, oh, I've written a book about that. Oh. oh, I get it now. Sure. So, yeah, it's all very subconscious. And then later on, I kind of realized what I might have been doing. I mean, it all sounds pretty healthy, though, to be honest. I mean, like, you, you sound incredibly relaxed. I don't know if that's you're just trying to keep on a calm sort of. <laughs> no, don't no, want to disturb anyone else in the house, but <clears throat> you, you know, you seem to be in a like just a very steady kind of like, I detect no stress. No, no, it, it's joyous. It's, I, I love doing it. Mm. Uh, there are points that are stressful. Like I, I, my, my health has relapsed massively, and I know that's because you you write a book, and you, you in fantasy, they, they like trilogies, so I write trilogies, and that trilogy is quite well received, and you do something entire. Not, the sensible thing mm. is to do something that's a bit like the last book you did. Yeah, more of the same, but you yeah. want to do something different because you've yeah. spent ages in that world and now yeah. you want to be somewhere else. Um, my my mind does not work like that, so I'll do something entirely different. And then, of course, you have the run-up to that coming out and you just think, what have I done? Hmm. Are people going to like this? And for some reason, the first review you see is always the person that doesn't like it. I don't know why or how it works, but it is the way it works. Because they're the fastest to the press because they've, yeah. already, they've yeah. already got it in their head of like, yeah. I've got all these horrible yeah. things to say about them. I just need to put in five yeah. points about the book and it looks like I've read it. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's the only sort of stressful bit. And then that can be quite unpleasant. It, it will kind of... I'm, I'm a very laid-back person and I don't really get stressed but that that bit i do struggle a bit with that and i think everyone i know does um but yeah i am quite chill this is and constantly wake up every morning thinking i do this for a living that is amazing how can this have happened because the, the odds of it are, are huge mm. so many people decide they're going to be a writer and just never make it mm. Mm. or even and then or do make it and then just yeah. can't can't keep going, can't sell the books, can't. Yeah, or, or yeah, they they get they release a book with a major publisher and then it doesn't do as well as the publisher wants, so the publisher doesn't come back. Mm. Um, and that that's really hard. You don't know, you, and it's not to do with books being good. It's just a really weird lottery. But yeah. touch wood, I'm yeah. doing all right. So I'm not like a 
massive author and the midlist, which is the ones who are earning money for the publisher, mm. but but not massive amounts of money. Yeah, but it's the kind of it's the steady turnover, mm. like yeah. you know. I, I, I mean, mean God. No, you carry. On. I was just going to say, like I've I've seen a lot of you know a lot of people kind of complaining about the disappearances of sort of they would say mid-level budget mm-hmm. movies but what they mean is you know things that don't cost a hundred million dollars yeah the sort of films that you know would be a sleeper hit or or whatever the more not quite indie but yeah studio produced lower budget films and you don't see those anymore i think, I think that would change i think i think that would change yeah. now and especially if, with the strikes and so on yeah or, and they've been spending and because tv has become so good and, I mean, the, the superhero movies were just television, really. They were mm. just very long television episodes mm. on films. And I think film has kind of lost what it does really well. Um, and I hope it finds it again with really kind of interesting indie movies and lower-budget stuff. Well, and westerns. It. We need yeah. more westerns. <laughs> <laughs> Have you written any westerns? No, but this is, this is a really... I, I have this... Well... This idea, the thing about ideas is they're out there Mm. and we're all influenced by the same media mostly. Mm. And I really love the film Predator. I always really like Predator. Mm. About 10 years ago, I wrote my sort of quick film process for what I do if somebody gave me Predator. Mm. And have you seen Prey, the newest Predator movie? Yeah. More or less exactly what I wrote. It's really weird. Mm. It's just, oh, well. Even to the point where the, the Native American people you can understand and the, the other people mm. you can't, which was the big point of the thing I wrote. It's just like, oh, did Hollywood break into my house and read that old notebook? Or is this just a really weird coincidence? Because it, it happens all the time. It's really interesting. Mm. I can't remember how... Oh, Westerns. But yeah, I'd love to write a Western. I've got a friend that writes like weird Westerns. They're mm. really good. She's called Stark Holborn, which mm. is a really good name. Um, I'd like, quite like because the thing about fantasy and science fiction is you can write anything really and, and just kind of put a dragon in it yeah and, so, and like maybe a, a wrist yeah. binding ceremony and you know. yeah a bit of magic and, <laughs> and you're off yeah it's it's cowboys yeah but yeah, I do. But yeah I, think I love a western i mean going back to the ideas thing i mean it's all and, and this is one of the things so a, a show i've been editing at the moment for someone else and and it's come up a lot in their interviews and it's that thing of, well, you know, oh, so-and-so stolen my idea, but it's like, it's not stolen if they've done something with it. Oh, no. Why has no. my screen gone off? Are we still recording? Yeah. Yeah, still um, recording. Yeah, so it, like if, if someone does something with it, you know, then mm-hmm. they've got to it first because other people are going to have that idea because it's all about just the connections falling into yeah. place, isn't it? It's just like... Two people can make the same kind of connections at the same time, but it's whether someone does something with that. I think that's that the hardest thing for, for people who are, who aren't doing something like this to understand is that ideas are, are cheap and throw away, mm. and it it's all about the execution of them. Yeah, uh, and a well executed bad idea, uh, I'll do a thousand times better than a badly executed good idea, and mm. people just ignore that. Or an amazing <clears throat> idea that nothing is done with. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's really really odd thing, but it's true. Ideas don't mean anything. 
we all have loads of them throw them away yeah too many actually yeah <laughs> mm. <laughs> um yeah and it, it is amazing how sort of i i had this idea at one point where i was gonna because I was kind of like, it's easy to think up various business ideas, but nothing that I actually want to do as a business. Mm. So I was like, I could just do a, a site where you just put a list of like, someone should start this business, someone should start this <laughs> business. And then people could just pick from there of like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. Like, that's a good idea for me. Because there's loads of people who are like, I really want to start a business, but I don't know what I want to do. So if you could match that up. <laughs> that, that, that's it. That's your business. <laughs> I just come up with the ideas, man. I'm the mm. ideas man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's very uh, open-toed, uh, blue sky thinking, isn't it? It is. Oh, I don't speak office speak. <laughs> <laughs> I did once, but I know no, no I've, I've long ago left behind the office. I think offices are happier for me not being there as well. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so um i do a little bit at the end uh where i throw it over to you to, to kind of discuss anything that you might want to talk about that we haven't touched upon um i can't think of any more questions on the books i it would probably be a good question to ask you sort of either your recommends like your favorites of what you've done or a good way into the work like if someone was going to start reading your work, where would be a good place to start? And what are the ones that you kind of like or would want people to read maybe? Oh, the ones that I always Is that want too people... hard? Is that... No, no, it's, it's not because the ones that I want people to read are um, there's a book called, called A Numbers Game, which is the first adventure of um, Mal and Jackie, who are my crime novels. And they don't get nearly as much love as my fantasy novels. My fantasy novels do all right. Um, and and I, I love these books with an absolute passion. They're, um, they're about a chap who's a, a pretend medium. Mm. And he's quite open about this to everyone but his clients. Um, <clears throat> and he's an ex-heroin addict. But he, he's found this way that he can help people by pretending to be a medium. And he does all the research and, and he thinks of himself as a bereavement counsellor. And his best friend, who is um, a Sikh gangster and a borderline psychopath. Um, what era are we in here? Now. We're set now. Okay. Um, and they live on the edge of this really rough estate where they both grew up and had a really hard time. Hmm. And get themselves into terrible adventures. At a numbers game, it is somebody's husband has been killed and they come to Mal, their medium and... and he's meant to find this a million pounds that the husband apparently had. It turns out it's a lottery ticket, mm. which he can't find. And he knows he can't find that. And like mm. eight million pounds, that's a large amount of money, physically large. He might be able to find where it's hidden. Yeah. But, um, and then it turns out this woman is the daughter-in-law of the area's biggest gangster and it's his money and he wants it. And then there's some Russian gangsters who don't want him to have it, but they want it. And he's just in the middle of this and he's just like, I'm terrified of all of you people. Yeah. But he's got this friend who's a nutcase. Um, and they gradually get themselves more and more in trouble. And it's funny and joyous um, and very Leeds, very mm. Northern. Um, mm. So that's what I would say is read a numbers game. Um, but the fantasy stuff, I'd probably say read The Bone Ships. Um, mm. It's not a particularly easy book, 
to get into it's sailing books are hard anyway because the whole terminology of sailing is is as i said like an alien language mm. um, but because i didn't want to do the work of learning it all i made up my own um, which was a really bad idea but i didn't realize until i'd committed to it <laughs> <laughs> possibly harder than doing the actual work but that, yeah. often that that's how things go with me yeah. um so you have to you have to learn all this but but that's the kind of joy of it. And once you're in there, you're in there. And as I said, it won the British Fantasy CRT Best Novel Award. Um, and it's a really good book for learning about people. And one of the most interesting, there's a, a writer called Mark Catley. He's a lead writer. And he's written for Casualty and EastEnders and lots mm. of stuff. And just before I got signed, I did a writing course with him. Um, and he told me the best thing I've ever heard, which is very obvious looking back at it, but no one has ever put it in words, which is that what mm. makes a character is that the character wants something and they need something. Mm. And <clears throat> if what they want is at odds with what they actually need, that makes somebody really interesting. Mm. So if somebody thinks they want to be left alone, but what they actually really need is a big hug, mm. um, you've got an immediate tension created. Mm. And uh, and that that was in the creation of all the people in the burn ships. So that's probably that I should actually say read Gods of the Weirdwood because that's just come out and it's in hardback, so I'll get paid a lot better. Mm. Um but so start but, there. <laughs> yeah, start with Gods of the Weirdwood. Um you'll have to wait a year before the next one comes out and then two years before the third one comes out. That's yeah, and then you've got the, these other ones to fill in that time. Yeah, yeah, you've got all, all these other books to fill in in between. Mm. But um yeah. Possibly the Burn Ships is closest to my heart of the fantasy books because of the bird creature in it, which is really angry, and I like it because it's really <laughs> it's, it's properly angry, and it it's sort of touches on slavery and colonialism and and all this sort of work stuff mm. that annoys people. That mm. I, I do, fills me with joy when they get annoyed. <laughs> we do. I do a podcast called Write Off Plus with some friends, and every so often we do what's called a one-star quiz, where we mm. read out one-star reviews of books, and people have to guess what they are. Yeah. And um, some of the one-star reviews for my books are just hysterical. Just, just, they kill me. I love them. They're my favourite ones with people who really hate the books. Yeah. They're you the can, best reviews. You can uh, imagine the vein going in the writer's head on the temple. Right? Yeah. I always think to a writer friend, there's one of them, that person has clearly created an Amazon account purely to leave my book a bad review because they hated it that much. <laughs> and um, I was talking to the writer friend and he just sat there going, that person thinks that they've scored a point against you and they don't know it's a badge of honour. <laughs> well, it's all engagement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it is. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I think all my books are, it's really weird. It, it's very hard being very English to say, I think my books are good. And I've had mm. to learn to say it, mm. um, but they are, and, and it is a it is disrespectful to my editors and the people that work with me for me to say anything else. They're of a level, yeah. Um, and your readers, I mean, you're still writing, yeah. them and people are still buying them. Yeah, I mean, I have some very creative ideas about grammar, but um, <laughs> that's allowed because it's creative writing, mm. um, and and, and I. I it's the thing about knowing how to use your tools. You can break them once you know how to use them, but if you don't mm. know you're breaking them, then you're doing it wrong. It's a really yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, but it does. It. I get emails from people sometimes explaining to me why I can't use sentence fragments, and I write back going, "Well, 
Blooming well can you know and I do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but if you're a grammar pedant, you'll be quite annoyed. So just go informed. But I mean, you, you, I, I suppose now you've got to get over that. Like I read, um, I read Seeing and Blindness and there's like no punctuation in that book. And I know people that have read, like, I know there's a lot of books now where they do, like, weird stuff with the punctuation and, like, you know, they just kind of don't bother with a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's so true. It's, 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 a, it's a thing to play with. It's mm. not, you know, that's, the, I mean, I, I love him, Colin McCarthy, for the, mm, yeah. the, the stuff he does, it just ignores all the rules. Go away and just write stuff. Brilliant. As long as the meaning is conveyed, the, you yeah. know, like, that punctuation's there to give aid in giving meaning isn't it? yeah and create rhythm 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 and and flow is, mm. is the thing as, as a novelist that you're trying to create rather than because punctuation is a set of rules invented so that you write in a very certain way and your boss can steal your report and say that they wrote it um <laughs> because there's no way of telling the difference it's not in it's another style yet yeah yeah look look it's a and, and then once you get into creative writing and you know the rules you can just break it all and that's just so much fun you know, sometimes your editor gets cross, but you have to meet them halfway. Uh, I've got one final question then for you before okay. I, I wrap it up. So it's going to be a Star Trek question because you've done fantasy and fantasy yeah. on boats. And yeah. Star Trek is, you know, sci-fi yeah, on, on boats, boats. In, yeah. <laughs> in space. <It> is. <laughs> so um, are you are you a Trekkie? Like, has that had any influence of you? Have you just are you just kind of doing Star Trek on boats <laughs> on the water? No, right. Because Star Trek, Star Trek borrows a lot from the things that I love. Mm. So I'm coming from the same area. Have you read like Hornblower and all of those yeah. as well? Then? Yeah, yeah. I've read Hornblower and um, I've read the um, uh, uh, Cochrane. His name's gone up my head. Um, Patrick. The, no, no. I mean, it's... I can tell you it's on my Kindle. Hang on a second. There, there's a um, an English naval officer called Cochrane, mm. who a lot of like Hornblower and um, uh, uh, Patrick O'Brien based their adventures on. Mm. I think it's Alexander Cochrane, Thomas Cochrane, All Thomas right, yeah. Cochrane, and he was a proper lunatic, proper sort of Georgian madman going and taking massive boats with twenty two people in a. Mm. Three gunship and all that sort of stuff. Um, so my my um, my stuff's a lot from history that I steal. But I do like Star Trek, um, particularly loving Strange New Worlds, mm. um, which I've really been enjoying. Um, but I wouldn't count it as an influence, mm. really. Though I did the best thing I think Star Trek has done is have you seen Discovery? Yeah. Well, there the was, first, first two seasons, I think. Yeah, in the first season, there was a space battle, um, <clears throat> which is one of the best space battles I've ever seen because it wasn't ships coming and doing broadsides. Mm. It, it was it was proper space in that you didn't know where anything was coming from, mm. and it just looked terrifying. It was done in like three D, so mm. so they were they were above you and underneath you and all around you rather than side to side. Yeah, all coming straight on. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I thought that's one of the best bits of sci-fi I've ever seen. Mm. That that was fantastic. That that was really good. But yeah, I like I like Strange. Have you seen Strange New Worlds? It is lovely. It's I watched lovely. the first season. I haven't seen season two. Are they on to the third one now? 
No, I don't see season two, which I think okay. is better, but it ends with a massive cliffhanger. Mm. So, so there's that. But um, yeah, I would. I, t- I tend to be drawn more and more towards um, more based in our world. I think because what I do is writing is so fantastical, mm. and and the stuff that I really, really love is all based now or, or history, but it's real. Like the bear, I've just. We just my, my wife's going to be cross with me because she wants to watch the last episode of The Bear. Um, I don't. Have you seen The Bear? I haven't watched any of it. I've I've heard people going on about it. Genuinely astounding. Mm. To the point that I thought it was entirely ad libbed, um, but it's not. It's very tightly scripted. Mm. Um, and though, if you've ever been a chef, um, all my chef friends can't watch it because they say it gives them PTSD. <laughs> and just like, no, no, it's too real. Don't want to go near it. But um, and it's about people in there, and it really just gets people, and it's lovely. Bear's fantastic. I read a very good book once uh, called Mediated. I can't remember who the author was. But they talked about that, like, you know, how everything is mediated. Um, Like, even when, you know, you can't really experience the Grand Canyon because you have to go through, you know, like a ticket office and barriers and all sorts of fences and information signs and all this kind of stuff. So it's all, you know, everything's got a layer of relationship in it. Uh, And he was talking about on TV how... Every job that you ever see represented on TV are always represented like a TV executive and how they imagine their job is. So mm. everything's the most important thing in the world and it has to be done right now. And like you're going to lose everything if you don't do it and you don't get it right and it's not perfect. Mm. Like every job is always that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a, it's really weird, I think, for anyone who sees their job on television made into television jobs mm. because they're all entirely different. There was, um, did you see the magpie murders? No. Which was a murder mystery set in publishing and an editor who went off and solved the murder mystery. Oh, what, what channel was it on? I think it might have been channel four and it was Leslie Garrett. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That drove me up the wall because I work in publishing and I know mm. that none of I was just like, she's, she's an agent. She's not an editor. Editor's done. Really annoying, and I could barely watch it because of that. It's really odd, and and also I used to work in in um, in, um, utilities. Yeah, so sometimes things will come up on it, and it's got stuff about um, gas and electric supply in it. It will really annoy me because I'm like, that's not how it works. Yeah, no, I know it's for drama, drama, but it's still I can't do it. Yeah, but it, it's also there's a level of that expectation as well of like, yeah. you know, if you told the truth, sometimes people wouldn't believe it because it's like it doesn't work like that. That's not yeah. how I expect it to work. Did um, you see? Um, there was the the people did line of duty. Did she was in a thing about a bomb squad? Right. That was just terrible. Some of the worst television I've ever watched. But they did this thing about blowing up gas meters in a whole street. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, well, that wouldn't work. That's not. That's not how they work. That, that would. That would do nothing. That's stupid. But, yeah. it, it, one of the weirdest things is breaking breaking believability. Which once you've done that, you've lost your audience. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got to be really careful. That's why it's worth knowing a little bit about everything. As, as I said, ooh, quite a long time ago. Now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's keeping it consistent, isn't it? Yeah. And and yeah. You, you, it, there's an art in knowing how far you can take an audience or your audience with an idea of like, okay, 
I've bought this much freedom with them. They'll follow me this far into this. So, yeah. yeah. Well, if you've got them by the first couple of chapters in a book, then they'll go most of them. the way. Yeah. 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 Unless you do something really stupid. But I, I think it's why Dan Brown gets away with some of the nonsense he writes towards the end of the books. Because <laughs> he's quite good at presenting those first issues. Mind you, he's really good at dragging readers through it. People slag off Dan Brown. And I wouldn't choose to read it, but he is really good at what he does. Mm. Really good. It's really yeah. clever. It's just I don't enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's got to be something there. Like, I, I mean, I know most of it's marketing to a large <laughs> degree, but there's got to be something there as well. Mm. Well, he, he knows how to drag you through a book. Mm. He knows how to make you just keep, read keep turning one more the pages. Yeah. yeah, just one more chapter. That's, that's what works in a book. Just, just, just a bit more. I, I am going to have to go in a minute. No worries. So. I, I, I will wrap it up there. So thank you very much for doing this. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's been great yeah. talking to you. Thank you again to RJ Barker for being my guest. You can find out more about RJ Barker at rjbarker.com and you can buy the books from your favourite Leeds bookstores. Thanks as always to all my guests and thanks to you Leeds for being my subject. If you are in Leeds or you are from Leeds, if you are Leeds, then please come on the show. Yes, I am speaking to you. I still need to find 895 loiners to interview, so being a guest is the greatest help. You will enjoy it. 100% satisfaction so far, as far as I know. Remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to Working Hours and please consider supporting Working Hours financially with either a regular or a one-off donation of any amount. You can email working hours at workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Okay, that's me. Work for peace and plan with kindness. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, leads. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. Follow Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads and on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios. Western Studios Leeds will help you realise your podcast for only £25 for an hour of podcast work. Need podcast production, recording, editing or any podcast admin doing? Need it all doing? Do you want or need a podcast host or co-host for your podcast project? Then get in touch with Western Studios Leeds Limited. Email makemypodcast at western-studios.com to get your podcast made. I am available to third sector organisations, small to medium sized businesses and individuals who want to make podcasts or create other digital audio content. Want to make some fundraising case studies? Want to show off your expertise in your field? Want some help creating your show and format or just some support learning to podcast and getting going? Whatever your podcast needs, get in touch with Western Studios Leads. Go to western-studios.com and use the contact page to drop me a message about either working hours or about your own podcast project.